and we see that Jesus is the second Adam, Jesus had to go through temptation just like we did. You know, in Hebrews, it says that he was tempted in every way that we are, right? So he had to be tempted and he had to win that spiritual warfare in order for him to be qualified in order to take our place on the cross. Welcome to the Kingdom Life Podcast, a teaching outreach of Andy Green Ministries. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, we would ask that you please rate, review, and share it with others so it will be a blessing to them. Stay tuned after the episode for important updates and announcements from Andy Green Ministries. Now here's Andy with today's episode. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're just going to read verse 12. I know uh, Brother Will had covered this last week in depth, went through this, the, the spiritual armor that we have. And how many of you know that it's good that we need to keep that in context like you did? You know, because if you just read verse 12, we're going to read verse 12, and we're going to pull this out and kind of pick it apart a little bit. Um, my subject that I'm going to be talking about tonight is breaking the power of the devil. And uh, so as you look at verse 12, we know that it's good to keep in context because here he says, uh, again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's not very encouraging if you read that just by itself, amen? So like I said, you know, Will, whenever he put that together last week, he kept that in context and he showed, you know, that we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then we have these weapons, you know, that will help us to withstand the enemy whenever he attacks and to be able to attack and, and to wage this war. So here, again, we're going to look at this word, uh, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'm going to kind of take this and then we're going to get a running start into where we're going. Uh, but this word wrestle, it comes from the Greek word, and, and you say it, pele. Pele is how you say it. Uh, so the definition that I pulled from the Blue Letter Bible, it's an app that you can get on your phone and it gives you a lot of inter- interlinear concordance where it'll give you the definition of the Greek words. But this word means wrestling. It's a context between two, a contest between two and each, endeav- between two and each endeavors to throw the other, which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon the neck. So we see this, it's not just you know, a little struggle that we have, but it's, a, it's an actual all-out fight that we have against these principalities, powers, mites, and, and all these different things. So this is all-out war that's being waged in, in this, this whole context of what Paul's talking about here. So in the first century, what Paul was probably thinking about whenever he was writing this, there was three major sports, three major competitions that they had, and the first one was boxing. This wasn't boxing like we have nowadays. It's not 12 rounds, you know, we're going to have a decision, you know, or anything like that. I mean, it was fight to the death boxing match. A lot of times the gloves that they had, uh, they were ribbed with stilts and spiked with nails. And then they would uh, take these, uh, I think they were quarter-inch razors, and they would wrap around the gloves sometimes, and they would have uh, serrated blades on them. So, I mean, it was gruesome. It was a, a horrible fighting match, you know, that, Either you died or you surrendered was the only way to stop that match. The second event that they had in the first century, you know, obviously these are the the Romans. 
was uh, just wrestling in itself. The sport was, it was for education of the Roman boys who were more wealthier. So if they were in the wealthier class and they were required to take this, this Roman wrestling um, just as part of their education, but then there was also, also a competition wrestling that would take place. And uh, it was a lot more gruesome than just the sport of it, but um, not as bad as these other two, not as bad as boxing or the third one, and I think you say it like this, pancreation. Um, basically, it comes from the Greek words pan and kratos. Pan meaning all and kratos meaning power. And these were the street fighters of the time. It was the no holds bar. We get in the ring, we fight. And then again, you know, the only way out was either to surrender or to die. So, I mean, there was, you know, brutal, gruesome things going on. So whenever we talk about we wrestle, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, I mean, it's this all-out war that we're having with these spiritual things. But how many of you are thankful that Jesus has won that battle and that we can fight and we, we stand in the authority that he's given to us? Amen. <clears throat> now go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll read verses 3 through 6. So we see... In the ministry of Jesus, or in the life of Jesus, you know, one of the first things that Jesus faced after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after the Spirit, you know, he was baptized and then the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Father showed up and he said, this is my son, in him I'm well pleased. And then shortly after that, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. For a long time, I was thinking about that, you know, the Spirit, you know, God doesn't lead us in temptation. Why is he leading Jesus in temptation? Why? You know, it, doesn't, it didn't make sense to me until a couple years ago whenever I was studying to teach along these lines when I finally understood that whenever Adam was created by God and he was given authority, he was given dominion, you know, was told to, to have dominion, subdue the earth, replenish it, uh, be fruitful, multiply. Adam was the first one. He failed in the spiritual warfare contest. We know that Satan used the serpent um, because we know that Satan, you know, he's limited. He, he doesn't have a body on the earth. I know Pastor covered that uh, very well and in, in, in depth. But, you know, Satan doesn't have a body, but he had to use the serpent in order to get at Adam, right? So Adam, whenever he gave into that and he lost that spiritual warfare, he gave into the devil. And then I, th- I find it interesting that whenever God had pronounced the curse and, you know, said, okay, well, this is the repercussions of you know, of what happened, you know, Adam fell under the curse, Eve fell under the curse, but also the serpent did too because he allowed Satan to be used, right? So whenever I saw that and we see that Jesus is the second Adam, Jesus had to go through temptation just like we did. You know, in Hebrews it says that he was tempted in every way that we are, right? So he had to be tempted and he had to win that spiritual warfare in order for him to be qualified in order to take our place on the cross, so him being the second Adam, how many of you know that I'm thankful that he won that spiritual contest? You know, Satan came at him, tempted him, you know, and he said, and I find this interesting too, is that he waits till, an, that Satan waits till an opportune time. You know, he waited till Jesus had fasted for 40 days before he came to him, right? How many of you know that turning the, the stone into bread is gonna be looking pretty good right about then, right? So, you know, and so he waited until he was at a point where he was weak in his flesh for him to come and to tempt Jesus. But yet we know that Jesus, again, he passed that test, and he, uh, 
you know, past that spiritual warfare time where he used his authority. That's all Adam, Adam had to do was use his spiritual authority that God gave him, use the word of God. God said not to eat this tree, serpent, get out of here, right? And then he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have had that fall. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we see this warfare that's coming against us. And we see that a lot of the times or most of the times that we have these dealings with the devil, it comes through our mind. It comes through these thoughts that we have. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we see three military terms that's he, that Paul uses here. He uses weapons, warfare, and the stronghold. Um, so at first, you know, for though we walk in the flesh, so, so, excuse me, so though we live in the natural realm, the, the fight that we fight isn't natural, isn't a flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual. And we do not war according to the flesh. So our, our, our battle's not with this as much as it is in here, within us. For the weapons of our warfare. So again, Will talked about weapons last week, so we're not gonna get into that or anything, but I wanna move on to uh, the weapons of our warfare. The word warfare here in the Greek is stratos, which means it's where we get our word strategy from. So in order for these weapons to work, how I many know that we have to have to have a strategy in order for them to work, right? You could take the strongest military, give them the most expensive weapons, but if they don't have a battle plan, then it's going to be useless to them. They're going to be <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy things and, you know, and all that. So uh, this, this, the weapons of our warfare, so the, the strategy that we use our weapons is what's going to help us to conquer in this area. Uh, we need to know how to attack. Again, you know, we need to know, we need to have that battle plan on how we're going to either resist, drive out, rebuke, or whatever it is we need to do with Satan and, and the demons and different things like that with all the powers of evil. We must hear from the Spirit of God on what our battle plan is. And we're, we're going to talk about kind of a general, the general idea of where we fight all of our battles from. But a lot of times whenever the enemy's coming against us, the Holy Spirit will give us a strategic plan where we can overcome or, you know, certain things that we need to deal with or something like that. For instance, I was ministering to a girl. Uh, this is whenever I was a youth pastor and she had come to me and she had, you know, these thoughts of suicide and, and different things like that. And immediately the Spirit of God showed me that she was dealing with the spirit of death and to cast it out. And I did. And as soon as I did, um, there was no manifestation or anything like that. But her mind was clear. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit, he gave me that strategic battle plan in order to help, help her overcome and, and to be able to resist the attack of the enemy there. So the Spirit of God, he'll help us, you know, a lot of times too, you know, even in family situations, you know, he'll show us what's going on with another person. You know, okay, what's this strife really about? What's behind this? You know, is it an attack of the enemy? Is it something stupid that I've done or said? You know, something like that. So he'll give us the battle plan. He'll give us what we need to know in order to remedy the situation. So though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. So carnal, uh, we're going to stop and talk about that before we get to the stronghold. That word carnal, the uh, Greek word is sarkos, it uh, basically just means flesh. They're not a flesh and blood. There's been several teachings 
that have come out about spiritual warfare that are just unscriptural and wrong and weird. I remember whenever I was a baby Christian, a well-meaning guy had given me a set of tapes on deliverance. And uh, I took the tapes home and I started listening to it. And there was a guy kind of preaching in the background, but you could hear all kinds of coughing. Like, you know, like everybody in the congregation was coughing. Well, come to find out that, you know, those were the demons being expelled from people, you know, as they coughed. You know, they were being purified in their heart by coughing. And then (laughs) it actually gets to where it's vomiting is how that they would purify themselves, you know, of the demons and different things like that. So, again, it's a very fleshly idea of, you know, how we're going to wage this spiritual warfare. Uh, There was another one that was going around that you, whenever you're dealing with, demons and different things like that, you had to get to a high place. So you had to rent like a, a, a tall motel or get to the top of you know, the room or go to a skyscraper and deal because you're dealing with wickedness in high places. You know, just fleshly ideas that think that they help us. You know, and of course, if it got real bad, then you had to rent somebody to take you up in a plane or a helicopter and you had to get real high in order to deal with the, the wicked things in high places. <clears throat> and then there was a deal called about... Uh, called warring tongues, where basically it was the, the volume of the voice or, or how loud you could get your voice is how you used authority over the devil, right? So a lot of people ended up actually being hurt, you know, in their vocal cords and different things like that because they would try to be so loud and try to overcome the attack of the enemy. Again, it's all through the flesh. How many know that those things don't work? You know, it might make you trick, you know, trick your mind for a little bit and think that it worked or something like that, but it doesn't work. The weapons that we have are spiritual weapons. So the whole purpose of the enemy bringing these thoughts uh, comes down to trying to build this stronghold. Paul says that that the weapons that we have, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, we don't want to get the idea of a stronghold being something that's bigger than us because we know that Jesus his redemption in us is bigger than anything. So it's not like we're looking at these mountains and we're trying to pull them down. We're actually casting them down. These wrong beliefs that the devil comes in and, and sets up. So a stronghold gives you the idea of a fortress. Another way you could put it is kind of like an army base. It was a place for the, bat, for the people in the battle to kind of gather together. They would prepare for battle. They would go out to battle and then they would come back. Um, after the battle there, obviously all the survivors would come back. Uh, so think of it like this, that these strongholds can be beliefs that are kind of our default beliefs. So whenever we, let me try to think of an example. Let me give you an example. I know a uh, pastor last week or on Sunday, he had talked about how depression, you know, a lot of times, you know, depression, we, we take in these thoughts and we meditate on these thoughts, you know, and it, it makes us depressed and different things like that. And we can cast those things down, use the word of God and get our joy filled back up. Right, So the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, we know that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. So let's just say a person comes and, you know, something bad happens, or maybe they've had a series of bad things happen, and they start, you know, thinking, man, this just sucks. You know, life is hard, all this, and then they start feeling depressed. Well, they allow that to linger, and they... Stick with that, and you know maybe something the next day happens that, that gets them down or something like that. And so you know they're depressed, and now you know a friend calls, "Hey, you know how's it going?" Well, I'm depressed, right? So now they're you know now they're talking it. So now they're thinking it, they're talking it, and before long, they're about the they are now much. 
now we'll never depressed, nobody likes me, right? So now I need to go see a therapist, a doctor, something like that, right? So now I go see the therapist and I get labeled as depressed and I get prescribed, not, not me, I'm just hypothetically, I'm not, not confessing that. <laughs> but the person, <laughs> general I, <laughs> get to, you know, gets prescribed, you know, whatever it is. I'm not confessing that. But the person, general, I get prescribed, and I believe that maybe for a second, but then I go back to my default belief, right? I don't stick with this new, new information, say it like that, right? I don't renew my mind to what the word of God says. And that's what the enemy looks for. He looks for the, the times whenever we start feeling down in our flesh, we start feeling weak. We find those points where he can attack, and then he attacks and keeps attacking right there until we you know, finally had enough and we drive him out, we stop the attack and, you know, we use our spiritual warfare in order to, to break his power and to get him out of our life. So that would be that stronghold. How many know we can have good strongholds too, though? We can have good, good beliefs that whenever something happens, you know, an attack comes, that our default belief is I'm, I'm, I'm healed by his stripes. Or our, uh, you know, our default belief is that, you know, uh, I just went blank, <laughs> That our default belief, you know, is that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? So we can have good, good, uh, good fallbacks or good default beliefs or bad ones. So these are these strongholds that the enemy will try to come in and uh, build up. You don't have to turn there, but just to kind of, min- well, yeah, let's go there. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. So this is where Jesus, he's explaining the parable of the sower. We'll actually skip down to verse 24. But also I want to make mention that in Luke chapter 8 is the same, it's the parable of the sower and Luke kind of gives, Luke gives his account of it in Luke chapter 8. And uh, he refers to the, the soil that the seeds being sown into is the soil of our heart. So how many know that we sow the word of God into our heart, right? So with that in mind, in verse 24, another parable he put forth to them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So now we've sown good seed. But while the men slept, his enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So we see, you know, as we plant the good seed, the enemy not only tries to steal the seed, but he also tries to sow his own seed into our hearts by giving us those thoughts. And depending on what thoughts we take and what thoughts we allow to meditate on is what, what seeds get planted within our hearts. Uh, Brother Hagen always, he said this, at least I've heard him say it, I'm sure a lot of people have said it, but... He always said that, uh, you know, you, can, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can, you can stop him from making a nest in your head, right? So it's those thoughts that constantly come and go. You know, we have to be alert, we have to be on guard, and we have to, to really cipher through and, and decide what thoughts are we really going allow, to allow to stay and which thoughts we're going to have to get rid of. Amen. We need to meditate on the good things. And really, that's the easiest way to do it is to find good things to meditate on. And so that way, whenever the wrong thoughts come, we can pick them out so much quicker. You know, whenever they train bank tellers, you know, they they constantly deal with with real money. 
right? So that way whenever a counterfeit comes, then they're able to recognize the counterfeit because they're so used to messing with the real. So again, we need to, to watch whenever the enemy tries to, to sow those seeds into our heart or, or to give us those thoughts so that way we don't sow them into our hearts. So how is it that the enemy will try to attack? Well, we know that there's several different ways, but just to kind of mention a few, you know, we talked about the thoughts. There's also external things. You know, Pastor talked about the movies. You know, sometimes we can watch the wrong movies and, and different things like that and allow the enemy to attack that way. Um, what about the people that we spend time with? You know, a lot of times, you know, we can catch wrong spirits or different things like that from the people that we spend, you know, the most time with and, and different things like that. I know of one person in particular that she got caught up in to hanging out with some wrong people and they ended up being of the, I don't know if you'd call it a religion, I guess you would, the Wiccan religion is basically a cult. So she got kind of dabbling in that. Well, she ended up with like her own little demon spirit guide and got involved in some, some weird things and different things like that. Ended up having to go to a mental hospital because, you know, they didn't, nobody around her knew that needed to cast that spirit out and get her away from that thing. Which kind of helps me to remember that whenever we deal with something like this, whenever we deal with one of these demonic things or deal with Satan coming against us, how many know we need to be discipled or we need to get into the word to fill that void where we kick Satan out of? So in other words, if I, if I get somebody set free, then we need to disciple them to not allow that thing back in anymore. Amen? So... Again, you know, they, they can come in all different ways and, 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 and stuff like that, you know, through works of the flesh. You know, the more time we spend in our flesh, because that's, that's the realm where Satan deals in. He deals with our flesh. He deals with the natural realm. Go with me to uh, Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke his word openly, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can't you picture that? You know, Jesus is sitting there teaching, and then Peter said, Lord, let me, let me set you straight on a couple things. You know, I, I know that you're the son of God, and, and I know that you have the words of life, but, but let me correct you, right? So Peter pulls him aside and goes to rebuke him. Verse 33, but when he had turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but things of men. So Satan is men-minded. He's naturally minded, right? So it's not just, you know, these spiritual darkness and, you know, these obvious supernatural things that happen whenever Satan's behind him. He's behind natural things, too, because, we, again, we know that he's the God, the little G of this world. He deals in this world system, right? So as he deals in this world system, that's the realm that he's constantly trying to get us in. He's trying to get us to get our focus off of God into the natural realm. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kingdom Life Podcast. Again, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others. You can also help us be heard by rating it and leaving a review. For other resources, please visit www.andygreenministries.com. Thank you for listening.